Blog Talk Radio. I mean, I think to say that there's Project Hell, that means that there's a heaven, right, somewhere. There's the opposite <laughs> of that. And I think there's this assumption that there are perfect projects out there, and I don't think there are. Um, there's so many variables that go along with um, all the things that we deal with on projects, whether it's people's attitudes or even the uncertainty of uh, technically maybe how to, to implement something. So there's so many different variables that, um, you could probably consider every every project has a hellish piece to it. Um, it's just how how well you manage that. Mm, good good point. Good point. Uh-huh. You know, so we're always on this quest for the the perfect project, but there, like you said, there's so many different variables, yeah. and and I think that goes to just continuously trying to tweak and hone and. And then once you get one phase down, you're on to another phase, so you find yourself tweaking, you know, once again. Yeah, yeah, and the death march piece, too, that you mentioned, that's exactly, people don't, uh, part of don't know when to stop sometimes, but also they know they should, but it's, it's like, well, we spent a million dollars, so we might as well keep going, um, rather than making some hard decisions of, you know what, let's stop. Um, yep, we threw away a million bucks, but we're going to be better off for it going a different direction. 
Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, the the when you say that too, and I, I have to give shout outs to one of the uh, uh, our other instructors at B two T that I co teach taught with uh, last week, which was Greg Busby. He he shared with um, uh, the students, you know, the whole concept of especially in IT, the art versus the science of what we're practicing. And there is a lot more art to it than, you know, some people want to admit is that, you know, every project has all these different unique characteristics and and variables. Um, And so we're more practitioners instead of, you know, everything being, and I use this term a lot, cookie cutter. Um, So everyone, you kind of have to learn, adapt, adjust, and and what we talk about, critical thinking. It's just not black and white in IT. Yeah, I mean, it's the whole concept they're practicing medicine, right? Because they're they're trying things and, yeah, and they're learning, constantly learning. And I think it's the same thing with us. We're practicing business analysts or PMs or practicing teams to and, – and we have to have that mindset. And you've said this before, being lifelong learners, right? So um, you have to be okay with that. It's never going to be perfect. Um, but if you don't learn from the mistakes that happen, then – that's when it gets really bad. Um, if you're learning from mistakes and not doing it on your next initiative or trying to avoid it, um, then that's, to me, always a positive. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to say welcome to our um, guests that have joined. We've got a couple of different area codes with us today. I see 860-845. I see home base 404-770-678. So thank you for joining us today. And uh, if you are listening and, and want to join in, um, have something that you want to say, or if you agree or disagree, just press 1. And Javon Grant is our uh, engineer in the studio today that's going to will check in with you and queue you up, see if you have a question. You know, even today we were saying if you want to be anonymous, you can be anonymous if you just want to use initials because you might be talking about your current project, and that's okay too. But we we welcome you um, to to join in in the conversation. This is Q&A, and as I said, our Uh guests are are continuing uh, Ask the Analyst uh, special guest is Coop, who's president of B2T Training. Uh, That's business to technical training, B2T.com. And uh, Coop is also a keynote speaker, does presentations, workshops. Um, so if you're interested, uh, do visit B2Ttraining.com, uh, and there will be more information about that and their, their whole offering. And also you can follow Coop on Twitter at K-U-P-E. That's K-U-P-E. So you can follow Coop, and he's on a mission to meet everybody in the world and so stay tuned, and uh, we'll be talking a little bit later and asking Coop where are some of the places he's going to be traveling in the next month or two. So with uh-huh. that said, <laughs> one of the things um, I want to share with our audience, I've been conducting, and, and Coop and I were laughing about this before the show, a very scientific uh, survey. Uh, I went out and uh, used the new Twitter feature <laughs> and posted up a survey um, and, you know, just just informally, just to try to, you know, find out before the show what maybe some people thought about what was the reason, what causes projects to fail. And bear in mind, it's Twitter, so I'm limited on characters, but I picked what <laughs> what is known, you know, as the top four. And the ones that came out was miscommunication, 
project management problems, uh, technical issues, and then requirements mistakes. Uh, so, Coop, and, and I've shared the results of our um, of our survey, uh, which may not be that far off, but really there was a tie between miscommunication and requirements mistakes. So, first, just give us your your thoughts and your interpretation. Just starting out here, um, what you thought of, of the the survey and the responses, and and just your based on your experience. Requirements mistakes seems to always pop up and that's always the the issue you know i mean and there have been very very scientific studies done um that uh say the same thing as as this survey you just did um that requirement mistakes are the problem missing or um just different opinions about requirements and that types of thing so um it's no surprise that that came up but i really think that's a symptom of something that's bigger and it comes down to uh, communication and collaboration. So I'm actually glad that communication was kind of tied. I think it, it's all about how teams are communicating, um, working together. And I go back and forth with communication and collaboration, like which one is um, the more important thing to do, but it's kind of the combination. Um, and if people aren't communicating well, if they're not working well as a team, then, yeah, you are going to miss stuff. Um, as an example, one of the things I... I do in a lot of my talks now, I don't ask for questions at the end of a session. You know, like a lot of speakers will say, okay, does anybody have any questions? We've got about five minutes left. Um, I don't do that because I think uh, people don't ask questions for one of two reasons. One, um, they don't want to seem silly. All right, And two, uh, they have some interpretation of what was said. Uh, most of the people we talk to, the things we're talking about are not brand new Topic. So they hear something, they have a wealth of experience, and they interpret it in one way or another. So they don't have any questions. And I think that, um, to me, is a communication issue on our projects, right? I've been in a number of sessions where people's like, all right, it seems like we're all clear. Does anybody have any questions before we break up? And, and nobody asks a question. Um, but that, to me, is not an indication that everybody has the same interpretation. It just means that they have an interpretation of what was discussed, um, but it doesn't confirm that we're all on the same page. So, so that is a way, uh, an area where requirements get missed or uh, they're misinterpreted, right? So then people think, oh, well, we just we have a requirements problem. We keep missing requirements. Well, um, if you work on the communication piece and how you're talking to each other and how you're um, eliciting or getting those requirements out or making sure that you have a um, a single interpretation of a requirement, um, that to me is the communication piece. And I think that's the root cause to a lot of the challenges. You know, excellent, excellent point. Um, because when people hear even even the interpretation of what we mean by communication, it, you know, bears, you know, clarification right. because like you said right. you know it, it, and you and I have experiences too people think okay I, I want to be a business analyst I like talking I like talking to people I like people I'm a people person I hear I hear that sometimes in an interview but the level of communication especially when you're having to take business 
what the business needs are, and then, you know, as we talk about, there's so many different filters that come from the person giving the information, and then it's got to go through your filter, and then it's being passed back on to another group of potentially, you know, technical or the project team, and they all have their filters on. There's so many spots in between, <laughs> um, and, and, you know, the whole reality right. is, is it's not black and white, and, and that's part of the complication. Yeah. Yeah. And, I mean, I think that bears saying that is why it's, it, you know, going back to the business analyst role, um, kind of being the communication liaison, is that it's a specialty. It's not, you know, everybody, you know, you can be a people person, you could be good at talking. And, and one of the examples I even use, how you talk with your friends, you already have a common language, a history. You can refer to things or shortcut the conversation because these are your friends and family. But that's very different in the business world. And you're taking people from could be a vast array of cultures and different understandings of even the, the business space altogether. And so that in itself is complicated. And, and you and I, you know, we're are, right. are even working on a, a blog about people really understanding that these are specialized skills. And so I want to give you a chance to talk about, you know, that as far as the business analyst role. Yeah, and you, you brought up uh, a great point about friends and being able to finish other people's sentences. I think that's a big push for, you know, some groups trying to get dedicated teams, right? The more, um, even though there's other pitfalls related to dedicated teams, the one of the things is that you get better and better at working with each other. You know everybody's skill set. You know um, you start to learn kind of their cadence and how they talk and when they say a word, what they mean behind it. Um, so, if you're on a dedicated team, it just helps to move things like that along a little faster rather than constantly checking. So when you said this, what do you mean? And I think, you know, that is, it's not just about being personal. I mean, you have to want to talk to people, um, but it also doesn't mean you have to be an extroverted type of person where you're the type of person that loves being in a group and having a conversation. Um, it's, it's that analytical mind or that critical thinking mind that you have to recognize not only what filters you have, but what's going on with everybody on the team and in the room and knowing when to ask that question, like, wait a minute, I feel like we have different interpretations here. Let's get clarification before we move forward. And to me, those are the best analysts. And sometimes that that's actually a person that could be viewed as annoying, right? Um, and you have to find that right balance back to what Greg was saying about the art of, of our role. But it's finding that balance where you don't want to constantly be chopping up a conversation. Um, and, you know, every word that's said, you know, wait, what do you mean by that? Wait, what do you mean by that? Because that, that just kills conversation. So how do you get that right balance and when to ask the question? And But you always have to be thinking of those things. Um, and I'm going to steal you know, your line, Jacqueline, and one of another great BA mind, and Kate McGoey. As analysts, you have to, when it comes to communication, you have to do two things. And this was your line you told me the other day. You have to be an eavesdropper, right? But you always have to be listening for, you know, there's multiple conversations happening everywhere, and you have to be listening and uh, to pick up on requirements, to pick up on interpretations uh, so that you can then, make sure everybody has is on the same page. And 
Kate talks about requirements in the air. She calls them Rita uh, requirements in the air that people say stuff um, in meetings or in the hallway or in a, you know, an informal conversation and they throw out, they're throwing out requirements. And if you don't, they're just in the air. And if you don't capture them and do something with them and figure out, are they pertinent? Are they not? Then there's going to be a challenge. Um, So a requirement in the air can be a, a big issue because the person that put it out there, you know, they say something. We do this, you know, all the time. We say something, we assume it got picked up and somebody's doing stuff with it. Um, and that, to me, is one of those analysis capabilities that that teams and individuals need. Absolutely. And, and, and you know, that, that hits upon um, um, something else, and, and I'll, I'll make a comment and, and, and have you respond to it, and then we're going to jump to the, the phones, because speaking of great BAs, we have a great BA on the phone that's going to share some of her insight and experiences as well. But but something else related to that is the um, stakeholder analysis, understanding people their perspectives, you know, just, you know, I, I even, and I think Greg said this in class too, you know, sometimes you got to be part psychoanalyst, <laughs> speaking of being an analyst, oh, yeah. is, and, and understanding people. So what are your comments on that? Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's one of the, and I might have mentioned this on an earlier show when I was at, and I've been mentioned, I mentioned this a lot. I went to a Gardner conference in September, and this one analyst, um, in in two different sessions I saw that just hit on a lot of key things that I think people in our profession need to be aware of. But one of the things he's saying, like the knowledge workers of of tomorrow, which we are, um, need to be like social anthropologists, right? And really understand it's it's not superficial knowledge of our stakeholders around like where they live and um you know, so you know their time zone and when you can schedule meetings. I think that's what a lot of people think of when they hear stakeholder analysis, they're like, oh, we we need to know where they live and time zones, when we can schedule meetings, how do they like communication, do they like phone conversations, do they prefer emails. But I think it's getting into what you're talking about and digging deeper into culturally who they are and how do they react to certain things. And um, even when you're hearing answers from somebody, is that really the right answer? And I, I did years ago I did work in – Argentina, and uh, when I was there, I quickly, and I didn't know it at the time, but I quickly learned that they're just, uh, their culture is, they're very nice, and this is a lot of other cultures too, they're nice, and they don't want to say something that could potentially challenge you or what you're asking, and they just want to go with the flow, Um, and when I was there, I quickly picked up that they weren't, luckily I picked up that they weren't really being completely truthful. They were erring on the side of being nice rather than uh, giving what was really needed. Because I was there to, we had a bunch of systems in the U.S. that we had to implement in, we were trying to figure out what we, what they needed in Argentina. So they knew they were the systems that I worked on. So I would say, you know, we'd be talking about different features and functions and they would just, yep, we need that. Oh, that would be great. Yes. You know, but they didn't want to say, no, that's not going to be helpful to us because of X, Y, Z. So when I was first down, so you have to dig deeper to really what is going on in in their mind and in their perception and how they're answering things. If I just went back to the U.S. and said, hey, they just want to use our systems as is and we implemented them that way, 
we know there would have been trouble down the road. Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, uh, the 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 one other comment I did say that was my last comment, but I am gonna I am gonna go to the phones here shortly. But um, you know, one thing that I learned that was really valuable is understanding personality types between the introvert and the extrovert, because sometimes if you are or tend toward the extroverted side, because I think I do have some introverted tendencies at times, but um, if you're on an extrovert, you don't necessarily recognize and understand the introverted uh, personality. And, you know, at the same time, you have an extroverted uh, personality that could be dominating the conversation, has an opinion on everything. And and you not only see, and not, not that that's bad, but at the same time, they're maybe not cognizant of how it's coming across to the introvert. And, and, and I, I take that a step further, too. And sometimes you have BAs that are excellent BAs, from the perspective, but they're introverted. And something you said is sometimes I've I've coached some that talk about how they don't really want to cause controversy. And I told them controversy is where the breakthrough is when you're trying to come up with an innovative idea. Not just controversy for the sake of controversy. It can be facilitated well and that type of thing. But you want to get different points of view in the mix. And I'm always about get it up front versus bringing it up in user acceptance testing, let alone in production, you know, that type of thing. So that that's another yeah. aspect of understanding personalities. Yeah, and so I know we want to get to the phones. <laughs> so what's <laughs> funny about this is that what's happening here is uh, it, the exact reason why we wanted to do this radio show, because Jacqueline and I get into these conversations, and she says something that makes me think of something, and then back and forth, and before we know it, we've been on the phone two hours. So this is exactly why, how this all came about. Um, but what you were talking about with personality types, and I, I think, so this is another uh, art skill that, that people need is recognizing. So when if you're an analyst or anybody on your team, I mean, you're a leader on your team, so if you're recognizing that, hey, this extroverted person is dominating the conversation, um, that you need to do something to make sure everybody else is comfortable. Cause, and they're not doing it on purpose. you got to come with the attitude that nobody's doing things on purpose, but they're not recognizing that they're doing it. And I think that when I look at, like, maturity levels of, of people on teams, that's a maturity sign to me. When somebody could recognize, like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm doing too much, let me pull back. Um, or if they're introverted and they're like, you know what, this group needs me to interject more, and uh, that's just not my comfortable manner, but I need to do it. Um, so it, it's that, to me, that's a sign of maturity when people understand and see that and recognize that. And years ago, I wrote a blog about that women have a sixth sense around that stuff. Um, and I don't want to be completely stereotypical, but I really do think women do a much better job of uh, understanding the dynamics in a room. Um, and they, they sense things, uh, I think, quicker, at least quicker than me. I don't know if it's all males, but definitely quicker than me sometimes. And that's like that's a skill that I've had to build up over time um, to make sure that I turn on, because it doesn't happen naturally with me. Like if I'm in a, a casual conversation, you know, at a party or something, I really, I'm not, as uh, it's not natural for me to be worrying about everybody at the party as much uh, unless I'm hosting. But 
when I'm in a BA situation, I have to make sure I remind myself to, okay, be looking at everybody in this conversation and make sure everybody's feeling good about it because um, that's important. Exactly, exactly. No, a- excellent point. Well, like you said, we, we could keep volleying back and forth. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to open up the, the mic because I know. Um, so your mic is open. Are you there? Yes. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, I can. We can hear you loud and clear. I don't know if you're going under your pseudonym or your real name because, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yes. I'm not going to use my stage name. I'm just going to be Tasha <laughs> early okay. today. Hey, Coop, how are you? <laughs> Hey, Tasha. Uh, I heard heard you were calling in. I was excited. Yeah, I just wanted to say you made a wonderful comment just now, right in time for Valentine's Day, about women have that intrinsic, you know, characteristic of reading a room. That was very Mm -hmm. timely. Um, That was perfect, (laughs) actually, Um, tongue-in-cheek. But, um, gosh, there's so much to talk about, and... um, I want to go back to a conversation and then come back up to where we were, but when you were talking earlier about the collaboration and the communication piece, um, and, and just for those on the phone, my name is Tasha Hurley, and I've worked extensively with Ms. Sanders Blackman and um, with Coop by default through many um, just um, conferences and things that we've done through work and that kind of stuff. So I've been in the industry for over 22, 24 years, something like that now. Um, And I I have my CBAP, so I take the business analyst role quite seriously. But um, when it comes down to collaboration and communication, that's something that's near and dear to my heart because I've worked on small projects, but I've worked on many many death marches, and I stress the word many. (laughs) It's become almost the reason why people call me now. So it's kind of like a blessing and a curse at the same time. But I think that comes down to knowing about timing. So you mentioned having that little bit of psychologist, psychoanalyst, being able to read people, body language, conversation, and then it's somewhat of improv and Coop, you gave uh, a workshop on that at a conference in Vegas a couple of years ago about improv and that timing. Yep. And that comes with maturity to be able to pick up on certain things, pick up on language, when to interject, when to hold back, when to get a piece of information and know that it's coming on the agenda in um, a scheduled workshop or whatever and when to feed into that when the right audience is there because you can't always pounce as soon as you hear something. But one thing that I've seen on a lot of projects, including one kind of near to me right now, I'm starting to get on bigger work streams and bigger project initiatives with a bunch of sub-projects underneath them. And if those roles are not clear, not just stakeholder roles, but that communication plan between different work streams, you end up with too many chiefs in the kitchen, and you end up with leads that are are stumbling on each other and being surprised when another lead comes into a, a working session and they've already initiated work on something else. Um, And I think we're going to see more of a problem or a challenge in that area 
with more distributed teams because we're taking advantage of our technology, right, to work on projects across the miles. Um, and I really think that we have to spend a lot more time up front putting those communication plans in place so that they're clear about who's owning what all the way throughout any role from strategic all the way down to actually executing test plans and things of that nature. And as an analyst, um, I think we are change agents and we are communication agents, and, and sometimes we have to help drive that, um, making sure who knows what and who's doing what. And I don't know if that's something that you all are seeing as well or what your opinions are on that. Do you agree with that, or do you see it as being something else? No, I think, Jacqueline, if I could jump in. I think Mm -hmm. one of the things I wrote on my whiteboard as you were talking about is distributed teams, right, that it's becoming more of a challenge. And and I completely agree that uh, technology has caught up with us in the sense of where we're able, you know, the technology is there where we can have conversations quickly with people around the world and we can get people together. And so our want and need for distributed teams, technology is there to help. But um, you can't act the same way when everybody's in the same room, right? So if there's if there's an issue or, you know, to Jacqueline's uh, conversations about being an eavesdropper, it's a lot harder. You can't be an eavesdropper when conversation, you know, you're in your home office, like I am in Decatur, and there's projects, people working on projects in Knoxville, Tennessee, and India, and, uh, you know, you can't be that eavesdropper. So you have to work in um, those communications. So to your point about a communication plan, uh, some people get, uh, you know, when they hear the word plan, they're like, oh, that's not agile, right? Um, That's not how we work. We don't plan. Um, But it's like you need this plan, and you need this way to – uh, how you're going to work together so you can work in where things that happen naturally in a face-to-face environment, you have to plan for in a distributed environment. So, yeah, it's good that everybody's spread out, um, but there's communication gaps that happen because of that, and you have to plan for it. And But that to me, that doesn't mean you can't be successful with a distributed team. And I think that's what happens to some people. They're like, oh, well, distributed team's not working. It's like, no, you're you're just trying to use face-to-face type things in a distributed world, and it just doesn't work. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. The more distributed you are, and because you don't have that interaction face-to-face and picking up on certain things, there are different techniques for picking up things over the phone and email communications and link and Skype for business, IM communications, and things like that. But that's when it's even more important to that point that that communication plan is in place. And, again, yes, exactly, people hear communication plan. And either they're thinking, oh, that's just fluffy stuff, or, ooh, if we're supposed to be agile, what are we writing stuff down for? And it's like you've got to have rules of play just so that you can be successful. That's key when you don't have each other in the same place. No, I, I I agree, and you know, interesting enough, um, that that makes me think about too. You you said something that was key. You said that planning up front, 
And um, I think that that's sometimes a lost art is that people just, you know, you want to jump in and get moving and moving fast and, you know, see, you know, people scurrying. But, you know, a lot of things downstream is because of the planning up front. And interesting enough, it you know, for years, especially through the IIBA with the BA Body of Knowledge, uh, putting forth the, the premise of an enterprise analyst or, you know, in, in scoping has been emphasized. But I'm thinking some people still haven't p- completely gotten that or bought into that. So I just want to put that out there because as you were talking about, um, you know, that, that planning up front. Uh, I'll throw it to maybe Tasha and then over to, to Coop. What, what do you think or what are you seeing and finding? Are we getting better at that or are we losing some ground there? I, I personally think, depending upon the maturity of the project team and leadership um, on certain projects that people are embracing, if if they're actually embracing lessons learned from previous projects as they become more distributed and as far as strategically planning ahead based off of more distributed teams like the one I'm on now or whatever, that um, if you're embracing it and you're actually taking the lessons learned and helping it feed into your next strategy and your next plan, I see it work. Where it And it's very apparent between those types of um, situations and those where it's like, okay, we just need to jump right into the next one, the customer's breathing down our neck, or instead of doing some, you know, um, kind of staggered planning while you're working on the current load of work to prepare for the next piece of work. Um, because I've seen both where it's just like, well, let's just get down you know, across this milestone, and yeah, 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 we'll just make it work some kind of way because we know that this person needs to talk to this person. And then the people change, but the roles stay the same. So a lot of that planning has to be around roles, not names and faces, um, and just how you're going to execute. Um, So when it really works and people take it seriously and they incorporate it into their strategic uh, planning and preparation, it really works. But you can definitely tell the difference, and it becomes apparent when it's the opposite. I think we're going in the right direction with many of the projects I've been on lately. Um, I can say a couple of years ago I could definitely say that it was not um, working <laughs> as well for other organizations, which I will, which will remain Nameless. I mean, not to point your <laughs> fingers. It it just depends on where that organization is or that division within an organization is from a maturity standpoint. Absolutely. Coop, anything that you yeah. want to add or, or say along those lines? Yeah. Yeah, I think there's um, – and I'll take a, a different angle to add on to what Tasha is talking about. I think the – you know, when it comes to scoping and upfront stuff, I think, you know, from what I'm seeing, more and more organizations are realizing that, yeah, we have to do a better job. So I, I think I think more and more groups, even though not enough are doing it, more groups are going down that angle. But I think, I still think the, the piece that gets missed is, and it's all back to communication. One, that making sure that everybody has that shared understanding in the beginning, but then 
it's keeping that visual and making sure people know what the goals and objectives and reasons we were doing this project in the first place are visual when you're getting down into the nitty-gritty. Because I think what happens, and this is why everybody complains about like communication plans and racy matrices and all, because they're done up front, but then they're never used again, right? Or people don't go back to them and um, and use them as a tool to be more efficient. And uh, it's the same thing with scoping and having goals and the problem statement and objectives out front. Because when you get into the nitty-gritty, you start talking about these details, but if you don't use the stuff up front as a filter to determine should we do this or not, um, then you can run into a lot of problems. And then it, then you get out of control, right? Then there's like all these things that you, you are getting thrown into the mix and people aren't making tough decisions to say, no, we're not going to do that um, because it doesn't align with our objectives. But the problem is people, you know, there's this statement up front, but then does anybody... You know, how often are people going back to their objectives and saying, okay, is this going to help us get there? Um, and I think that's a big part of the challenge. And, again, it's communication, right? It's making sure everybody is constantly on the same page and it's being communicated what our goals and objectives are, and those are clear from the beginning and, you know, as the initiative continues. No, great great point, great point. Um, you know, in regards to that, you're right. I'd like to keep, you know, posted. Uh, Tasha knows how we we used to wallpaper uh, our different conference <laughs> rooms with, you know, the objectives. Even whether it was the Agile Manifesto, what were the the ground rules, the rules of engagement, and, and communicating that um, because people are coming and going off the project. Um, and then some people, you know, you just get distracted and, and get further and further away from those things. So absolutely, that the communication, it, it's not just a one-time thing. It's making sure and refreshing people's memory and, and that type of thing. So I think that is that's such an important point as well. So between, you know, we're, we're, Tasha, I, I, you know, your thoughts as well as far as, uh, the difference between maybe what you've seen as you've gone into some of the different agile projects are the the problems and symptoms the same? Are there are they different? Is is agile uh, helping some of those pain points, those historical pain points that we may have seen? What what has been your uh, experience with the agile? Because some people kind of look at agile as the the silver bullet, um, but there there's some caveats around that too. There's still some basics that, you know, people have to keep in mind, too, even when going into Agile. So uh, how has, because I know you've worked in both worlds, how has your experience been around that? Um, Well, Agile, as we all know, isn't for everything. And I think that's the big problem is that um, at times people want to recommend Agile for things that it just doesn't exactly fit for, for instance, and trying to keep it as generic as possible. But for a more recent situation, um, Agile was trying to be used for software upgrades, for just software upgrade scheduling. And um, there were so many different elements that were involved 
and other groups that were involved based on the type of software that particular business champions were asking this group to install. So they may have been dependent on outside vendors. They may have been dependent on the server group, which was a totally different area than the one we were in, who had their own schedules and had their own equipment that was that were on different schedules to be um, lent out to for testing purposes, for testing that the software was upgrade was working correctly. So um, that instance was just not, I, I don't think it was beneficial for an agile approach and methodology. And I think people just hear, agile, it will make us go faster. Uh yeah, but it can also make you crash and burn faster if you've not put the plan in place, which takes me back to my whole planning and pre- preparation. And some of that is figuring out if if it fits or if you're really trying to put a you know a square peg into a round hole. You know, so you have to. I've I've just seen a trend in some environments um, where they're trying to do just that, and use a flashy term or keyword to promote speed when there are other elements that must be considered. Um, And then when it works really well for, like, minor change requests to basic software, so you're just adding on functionality or tweaking functionality, where there's really code changes or configuration changes for one piece of software. I've seen it work work incredibly well with using like a CCB approach where you're on a regular rotation to suggest what should go first, second, third, and you're, you know, evaluating um, user stories and velocity and all that kind of stuff, and then it works very nicely. So, um, I've seen it both ways, but I think a lot of it is really in that upfront preparation. Now, that doesn't mean that an organization or um, a mission can't evolve into that, but that will sometimes mean that you have to shave down the square peg for extra fat and and (laughs) edges that shouldn't even be there anymore because it's antiquating your approach which may be the real reason why you're slowed down in the first place. So I I think it goes back to the whole planning, you know, the whole planning, the whole strategically looking and assessing if you're ready for what being agile or, or going an agile route really, you know, entails. And if you're ready for that, if your organization can bear that weight. Exactly, exactly. Uh, excellent. Coop, I think we found our third co-host, or maybe our fourth co- co-host here, because we know yeah. David joins us from time to time as well. <laughs> but um, just just excellent points. And, and you know, I want to let our audience know, we're talking about projects from hell. Um, what causes projects to, to fail? Um, we're talking about everything from communication, a key word that Tasha has uh, brought to the conversation is about that upfront planning as well, being strategic uh, in your planning, and, and again, looking at from a business analyst perspective, what are things that, that we can do? And also, uh, so we have Tasha with us today out of Atlanta, and we also have Coop 
from B2T Training, uh, and you're welcome to call in. If you're on the phone, press 1. If you're in our queue and our uh, studio engineer will uh, check you in, if you just want to stay on the phone and listen, that's fine too. And uh, be sure to share the, the broadcast with others after the show. We, that's the way we know we're on the right track and covering topics that are of interest to you. So uh, stay with us, and uh, we've got a, another half hour with Coop. Thanks for your your time today, uh, Coop. And so let me let me ask you, Coop. Uh, I'll turn the the question that uh, Tasha just answered about agile. Are people the same things that the challenges people are feeling on waterfall the same on agile? Are they different? Or are they just bring their bad habits over? Or are, like to Tasha's point, are people just using a, the the term in so many different ways? It's even hard to to pinpoint. What what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think there's there's two aspects I wanted to to touch on. Um, the first is with when you know if an organization decides to go to more of an agile mindset um, and having you know dedicated teams and uh, <clears throat> putting people together and working out you know and the concept around agile is you you know these teams should be self managed and come up with stuff well. Um, I think what happens often, and this is the communication side of things, I think that people get put onto a team, and this happened pre-Agile too, but it, it, uh, the issues I think get highlighted more in Agile is people get put on a team, um, but they still don't know how to communicate and work together, right? It was It was hidden a little more in the waterfall days because there were more siloed roles and people would do more things kind of, on their own, per se. Um, so they get put onto a team where they're supposed to have this open communication and uh, they still don't necessarily trust each other completely and don't know how to have conversations and don't know how to um, build a positive, communicative environment. So so then, you know, things will fall apart, right, whether you're agile or not. It doesn't matter. Um, if you can't communicate well with a group, um and that's why, you know, Tasha, you mentioned improv earlier. That's why I push um, people to get an improv mindset because it's about building an environment where it's very positive and open and people can have real good conversations. And that doesn't mean everybody loves each other. It means that you can have good conversations and do the best moving forward. So I think that challenge exists regardless, right? If you weren't a good communicator, if you were a jerk um, on a waterfall team, you're going to be a jerk on an Agile team, right? Um, and, and that's going to be highlighted even more, I think. And what, what could happen is, you know, if the team doesn't recognize it or leaders don't recognize it and try to correct it, then it could get out of hand. And that's where some people are like, Agile, Agile just doesn't work for us. And it's really, no, it's like you you have communication problems on your team. you got jerks on your team. you got to work that out. Um, the, the other piece to what Tasha was talking about around, Agile doesn't work for everything. I think that that comes into play if you think Agile is a particular methodology, like using Scrum. Um, and we have to have two-week sprints, and there's a, a pattern that goes along with it. I think if you, you have that attitude, and I think if you had that attitude in Waterfall, it was a problem, right? That don't do a process for process sake, right? And I think where teams fail and where projects fail and initiatives fail is if they take the attitude of, um, and I had a, 
I was doing a webinar the other day, and someone talked about repeatable processes. And, like, you should have repeatable processes. It, it adds value. But don't just think, and I think that's a challenge in system development is that, oh, we need to be repeatable, and we have to do this over and over again. Well, we're not building a car, right? I mean, so it, it really isn't repeatable processes aren't as necessary. I, I believe in process, and you should always be looking at it and how can you improve, um, but you have to be flexible enough. And that, to me, is the agile mindset. It's lo- looking at, okay, how are we going to approach this? What's working? What's going to work best with our culture and the people that we have? And also the type of initiative we have and how should we go about it. Um, to me, that's having an agile mindset. It's just the way we do things. There's not a way to do it. Um, and Jacqueline, you know, you brought this up in the blog that we're working on, that a lot of the, the people that wrote the manifesto are saying, um, and I forgot the one guy's name. He act, It's funny because he came up with an approach to say that agile shouldn't be an approach. Um <laughs> which to, to me was kind of ironic, you know. So he added another approach to agile, saying that agile is not an approach. Um, but it, but what he's saying is that you know teams have to come together and figure out what's the best way to move forward. Um, and then you got to figure out if you're in a large organization and part of a bigger team, how does your team fit into the other teams, right? So Tasha, to your point about the different groups and how they're working, I mean, you, you can't say well, this is how we're going to operate. And, you know, everybody else get on board. It's like you got to be smart and talk about, okay, what's the best way forward? And to me, that is being agile. And if you think of agile in that in that way, then we should all be agile. Um, so I think uh, – Yeah, I'm and, – and, and I was – I'm sorry. I was trying to figure out a way. How can I, you know, work that conversation into that it's all about communication? But I couldn't figure – um, I couldn't make the link to communication on that one. So. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Tasha. Were you also going to say something? Yeah, yeah, because that's a very good point about the whole um, that agile is, you know, the same as it's taking the scrum. You know, having a, a scrum approach, scrum methodology to things or whatever. I think people take bits and pieces out of the entire agile process or, or you know, strategy approach of, of, of managing projects and things like that. And I think people just like that term because I don't know if they see it on resumes or whatever the case may be, but, but it, it, you really have to assess where you are, you know, and assess what communication style is going to work for you, what collaboration style is going to work for you. And it's almost like that needs to be a requirement session of itself (laughs) up front for the, you know, approach to the project or the initiative or whatever in the leadership team before you just cherry pick which pieces you want to do for what parts of a project or whatever. So I I totally... um, I don't know, but Coop, that sounds like that would be a, a good topic along with that communications piece. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you know, I I wanted to add a, a couple of points too, because you know, I'm I'm love Six Sigma. I love process. Um, and I've I've been to organizations who 
wanting to implement Six Sigma or CMMI, trying to get a rating idle. And something that you said is um, repeatable processes are great, but the key takeaway, too, is it's continuous process improvement. It's not a one-and-done type of thing. It's right. you're always going back and tweaking um and and it changes at different phases of the project. And I think that's what's like I said. I, I don't know about other industries, but software, like you said, when you're building a car, you, it's you know the you, the same results is going to come out of that assembly line. With you know, the the whole software development, you've got to take the different factors and criteria up front. And another thing that I like is the the label. This group, business analysts included, were knowledge workers. So you've got to take the information, you've got to crunch that up, discern it, and come out with, based on what you know at that moment, making decisions. And that includes about the approach, the like you said, the communication, the strategy, and you have to tweak it as you go along. Because I just recently saw a Twitter post that I've been retweeting is that we make some of the biggest decisions when we have the least amount of information. And that's always perplexed me, you know, as a business analyst. As I'm peeling back the onion, getting more information, that we're not going back and revisiting whether it's the approach or the budget or the timeline, you know, some some big pieces of the puzzle. And I think that's gotten lost and and, um, these things get set in stone that this is the way we're going to do it, this is our deadline, and, um, you know, not taking into consideration new information and uh, adjusting accordingly. So that's how I feel. Process is important, but used in in the right context, too, and and that continuous process improvement, which – you know, it's somewhat built into the the agile as far as your retrospect. And then every now and then when I run into groups that have abandoned the retrospect, you know, I'm thinking, oh, so how are you agile? You've locked in on an approach and you're not going back. And Yeah. So, and and I think people think that it's just a a, a ceremony and we can cut time if we just cut out that that extra meeting, but they, they have to revisit what was the intent and spirit of it and make sure that they're staying true true to that. So, you know, th- that's my thoughts and, and, you know, what you said about the the process and everything. You know, yes, um, you made this, me think of something, Jacqueline, if I can just sure. chime in, because I don't want to be viewed as the, the anti-process guy, um, because I think <laughs> part of that retrospect should be, did that process work, right? I mean, so... And that's where I go back to I'm all for repeatable processes when it makes sense. But if you're, to your point, if you're just um, just doing it because, oh, we got to level four of CMMI, so we have to keep doing it, that to me makes zero sense. Um, but if, you're, if you have something worked in, whether it's a retrospective and, you know, an agile approach, some way to say what worked and what didn't, what should we keep doing, and what do we need to adapt, um, then I'm totally for it. Then it, So as a process is working, keep keep it going, right? If it's doing the trick and you're being efficient for it, then you should make it repeatable and, and keep and stick to it and dedicate your team to, to sticking to it. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, I, did, did, uh, I want to take the conversation in whether other direction, but I do want to 
take at full advantage of, of of Tasha's time. You know, if there's any other topics that are at the forefront of your mind, uh, feel free to to steer us in in that direction because you've already uh, given us some really good <laughs> topics that we can can bounce off of. Um, so I, I, I just want to give you the opportunity to see when it comes to projects and, you know, uh, we've, we've called them death marches and the project from hell, that type of thing, um, and just sometimes the organization not knowing when to pull the plug on on a project. Just want to know your, your thoughts on, on that, is, if there's any other thoughts that you want to add. Um. I wish there was a silver bullet for that, you know, when to pull the plug on a project. <laughs> a project would be a <laughs> wonderful thing. If anybody has that bottle, please let me know. Um, because what tends to happen, well, and thank you for bringing that up, just what I see, and I'm curious to get your feedback, both of your feedback on this is, you know, when is the right time to to pull that plug? Because what I've seen, once we get to death march mode, everyone's pretty much burned out. The communication is always at a fevered pitch and escalated. Um, and by that point, you've got people dropping like flies. And, you know, typically we as analysts tend to try to be the level-headed ones, I've noticed, in my opinion, um, and that's no disrespect to project managers and things like that because I know there are different stresses and things that tug at different roles throughout the process. But, you know, when I guess in my opinion is how can we dispel and how can we drive to dispel the death march um, colloquialism or word on projects in IT? I mean, I, I've struggled to be that voice of reason, to be that calm, you know, even-keeled person. But just from an analyst perspective, and I'm kind of switching the question back around to both <laughs> of you all, um, from having a few more years of seasoning than I, um, are are you finding any ways in your opportunities to lead to help avoid and divert that point, that fork in the road? And what are some of those approaches that you've used to divert, you know, and call a truce? And has it been effective, or have you been like, okay, I get it, we're still going to go down this path, and we're just going to crash and burn together? Um, <laughs> do, you, do you have any war stories of where it worked and where it didn't work? Because I'm, I'm still on that quest. That's my next quest. I'm still there. Well, you know, well, I, I think I'll throw it you to have, Coop first. Uh, <laughs> okay. I, Tasha, I think you need to go into politics. That was a nice thing. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it good how she did that? She nah, turned it back. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so so my first my first comment is that don't give up the, the fight, right? I mean we have to keep fighting the good fight and I think, you know, whether organizations 
realize it in practice in word they're saying they need critical thinkers on their teams and and what you were describing to me is being a critical thinker like keeping a level head keeping emotion out of it trying to find the facts of okay what is happening in the situation so that we can analyze it and you know recommend ways to move forward i think that what that is the pattern right that you have to continue so don't even though we don't always win the battle or, you know, maybe I don't want to call it a battle, but or make sure we influence or uh, persuade people in the right direction, that that is the right mode of operations to continue that path. Um, the other thing that, that I keep um, kind of on a, a sidebar is uh, decision log. And what I try to tell mm-hmm. people is to keep decision logs. Um mm-hmm. And just track, right, because that's another piece of fact that you can um, keep in your toolbox to bring out at the right time to say, hey, we, you know, this smells a lot like a situation we had last year and we made a decision and did that decision. Was it the right decision, right? Um, So you can use that decision log to come back to and say, hey, you know, what we're up against, the situation we are today was just like last year, and here's the decision we made and who made the decision and why we made that decision. And you know what? Now, with hindsight, it didn't work, right? So let's not do the same thing, right? Let's come up with some other option because if we can all agree that we're in the same boat we were in last year, let's do something different, right? The whole insanity quote, right, by uh, is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. So that, to me, could be a good way. Um, and in the short term, in minor things, it could help. I mean, I've, I'm always in so many meetings where I'm like, didn't we talk about this last week and didn't we make a decision? Why are we bringing it up again? Uh, um, it happens, you know, um, I won't bring my wife into this, but it happens with her. She always gets mad at me, like, didn't we we talked about this last week? Why are you asking me again? Um, so um, maybe I you need guys a need a decision log. log. In yeah, the right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I don't think, I think that'll that's work. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that might help me, right? Avoid getting yelled at. But um, so because uh, I don't remember those things all the time. But I think that's uh, a way. And I think you know the other piece is courage, right? Um, we have to, before it even gets to the death march, I think there are signs, and everybody, like, smells them and sees them, but nobody has, uh, or enough of us don't have the courage to step up and say, time out. There's an elephant in the room here. Something is not working. It's going bad. Maybe we have to, to stop this, right? And I think some of us, even if we don't have the answer, um, then... We need to have the courage to to call a timeout um, and say, wait a minute, I, I don't like the way things are going here. I'm not sure what the answer is, but I'm not sure this is the right path to go, and I think we need to change before it gets really bad. Um, so some of it is just courage to highlight, you know, and expose the elephant that's in the room. You know, I I I have some <laughs> some some thoughts as well. I completely agree with, with your your points. And one of the things that you often say, uh, Coop, is that part of the business analyst role is to help them make decisions. 
And um, looking outside of just not being a you know software requirements business analyst, but being a solution analyst, and sometimes the solution is we need to stop. <laughs> and so to help them get right. to that decision, things like you said, the decision log. And I know Tasha and I both have been in situations where we had to backtrack and, and create timelines to show them over time this is what has happened and that's how we've gotten to this spot. And like you said, we're at a decision point. We're at a fork in the road. Which way do we need to go? So a lot of time, and this is something that I, I find, you know, even even with Agile, um, people think about, well, no documentation, no but even as a business analyst, there's certain things I've got to keep records and in the back pocket um, about decisions and different things that are going on so that if I do need to bring them out and, to you know, pr- they need to be presented in order for us to make the next decision in front of us, then I have that information. So I, I look at that as, you know, part of my responsibility, and I think sometimes – People just are thinking as business analysts, as that requirements person, and that that's what you're working on. But any decision on the project, especially as it relates to the solution and where we go next and where we go forward, I think that's that's important. I think the the second piece that I would add to it, too, is that um, having management – that also appreciates the business analyst as a consultant and kind of internal advisor, not just as, you know, not looking at you or or putting you in that corner as just that requirements uh, analyst or order taker type person, but if they see that, um, you know, you can make some recommendations. And this is where some of the creative side of our role where I've done gap analysis between where we are and where we thought we should be at a certain point or um, creating scorecards to show, okay, well, this is how the project, how we, we could score the project based on, you know, what our run rate has been of, for example, stories that have passed or use cases that have had to be reworked and, and, and those types of things. So I'm, I'm giving them a way to measure are we going in the right direction. But then I'll, I'll end it by saying, with all that said, I've still worked on plenty of projects where I didn't agree, but we still had to move forward. And as Tasha said, just still, you know, helping move the cheers on the deck, keep the band going, <laughs> keep the water out <laughs> of the tuba, right. <laughs> whatever I got to right. do. Um, but it, it, it has, too, doing that, too, uh, has over time, and, and Coop mentioned this, too, built a reputation and in your organizations they start to respect that skill set. But there's still some, and and um, I remember in retrospect looking at a particular project, the end result was to stop the project. And up the chain it probably didn't get taken very well, but I don't think they fully would appreciate how much money we saved. And and we said, you know, sometimes you should get credit and recognition for how much money you save the organization, not just, like, just keep pushing forward just for the sake of just throwing something into production. That was going to end up costing the, money, costing the company, and especially when you can quantify and show that. So I think some organizations have to appreciate, again, how tricky software is and software development is is that sometimes it's worth just stopping, stepping back, um, and and that what you've learned so far is in fact well spent money because but it's better than going forward 
and just continue to throw money down the drain when you have your whole team um, that's advising you that we don't need to go forward. And so I've, I've been in all of those positions, and um, there, there are sometimes when, when management appreciates that insight, sometimes I've had to build that up over time, over a couple of projects, just kind of going, going along and, and maybe against my better judgment on some things, but making my recommendations not initially being heard, but later on over time them seeing that um, my track record and then appreciating what I brought to the table. So that's been my my experience. And so fight the good fight, Tasha. Hang in there. <laughs> See, so so the good thing, and especially for our our the the listeners out there who are just getting into the game, who are like, okay, wait a minute, I thought I was just going to. Right requirements. What <laughs> you know? But the the good thing, and and Jacqueline, you know, like we said, we've held hands clearing the, <laughs> the 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 deck tables and chairs on many a project. So you know, the the thing at it at the end of the at the end of the day is yes, coop right on. Um, I was brought up to the ranks of keeping that decision log and and that kind of good stuff and. Sometimes it doesn't feel good when you point back to the decision log and they're like, yeah, but you know you did the right thing at the end of the day because that's the right thing to do and to be able to recreate the timeline. So it's partial improv, uh, it's partial psychoanalyst, it's partial attorney at law, right, going into it, but it's always keeping that even keel, always just sticking to the facts, not going into emotion and giving equipping folks with the with the right tools to make sound decisions um at least based off of what off of what you've given them the decisions they make you can't control that ultimately but you're hoping to have the art of persuasion to lead them in that direction so the thing that you know if that I would share with anyone who's new and thinking about going into it and you thought, okay, I'm just going to go in, I'm going to collect requirements, I'm going to do user stories, use cases, those kind of fun things and screenshots and all that kind of stuff, is that there is an art and it's a lot of soft skills. And at the end of the day, it's never personal. It's always about the business and getting to the right end. But by equipping people with accurate requirements, accurate um, points to make decisions to move forward, and that you're always facilitating that communication, being open and having integrity and being dependable in the work that you provide. So I think all in all, whether it's a death march, whether it's a sunny day situation, wherever that is in the world. Anyway, just kidding. Um, (laughs) At the end of the day, you have to be, have integrity. You have to be accurate. You have to be dependable. You have to be determined to get the facts and the accurate information and keep it documented in a very transparent way. So um, just my little tidbit, not that I was asked, but just for those who are listening (laughs) and maybe wondering. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, if I could just uh, expand, or not expand, but just highlight something you said about, you know, people getting into the role and thinking, oh, it's about prototyping and uh, that kind of thing and writing requirements. To me, that that stuff is the means to the end. The other stuff you were talking about, being the, the, the psychologist and sociologist and 
and helping and facilitating communication and facilitating decisions. That's why we do what we do. Those things are uh, a means to the end. It helps with communications. It helps with analysis. It helps looking at different perspectives. But that's not what we're about, and I think too many people focus on that thing. You know, and I always, I'll go back to the um, Karate Kid movie and, you know, how Mr. Miyagi was making Danielson, like, paint the fence and wax the floor and all those things, right? And to me, that those activities are use cases, user stories, prototypes, right? It's like you have to know how to do all that stuff. Um, but the reason you're doing it is to be able to react and have this stuff to be no, being a psychologist and knowing what's happening in the room and pulling those things out at the right time, right? Um, so when, you know, in the karate, when someone throws a cross at you, you have to know, oh, I have to use, you know, the the paint the fence move, right? Um, <laughs> it's the same thing as business analysts. You have to be a de- – so as you're growing up in the role and getting more mature, you got to add more of those things so that, you can relax and just kind of see what's coming at you and and react to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, good, good stuff. Good stuff. Absolutely, and into our audience, it's not too late. We got a few more minutes. If you want to press one, if you're on the phone and ask a question or chime in or agree or disagree, um, we're talking with Tasha has joined us this afternoon. Uh, has many years uh, of experience as well as Coop. And myself, I mean, on the on the phone, probably uh, if I did a quick math, uh, we got about eighty years all together, <laughs> maybe more, <laughs> uh, maybe tipping it toward ninety. But we, we, you know, there's a lot of experience on the on the phone. We've seen the evolution of IT and the the industry. We've seen, you know, I've see, I, I know that I've seen extreme programming come and then uh, get a makeover and and come back in a different variation as agile. So we we've been around. We've seen some things. Um, and you know, something that that comes up when we talk about projects failing is finger pointing. That's another word. <laughs> the finger pointing. And and as a as a instructor and coach, one of the things that new BAs coming up that I, I I want them not to fall into because it's very easy because you have business analysis and project management. I like to describe it as like a, a, a good marriage. <laughs> you need to have a good marriage between those two. Um, because it, what next you see is finger pointing. And I had a student even ask recently, you know, well, isn't that the PM's job? That's the PM. If, if I see that there's a problem, a risk, decisions changing, I'm just doing the requirements. That's the PM's job. And that scared me. So I'm gonna, I'm not. Uh, that, uh, this is my reaction. What are your thoughts, and, and, and am I far off in left field? And, Natasha, I know, let, let me let you have the first word on this because uh, I know that you may not be with us much longer, and then I'll throw it over to Coop. Yes, you, you probably heard the gasp. I should have muted. But, um, <laughs> yes, uh, there shouldn't be finger pointing at all because really, in my opinion, after communications and laying the groundwork, and those things, the requirements are a, a fundamental piece of the what that we're building, right? So, but the requirements are also what are being collected from our business 
comrades and business champions and those types of things too. Um, so it's it's never about one individual because it's a team. That's why we all have roles and we're working together on the project. Um, but from a human perspective, yeah, when the ship goes down, everybody's trying to point at the other person like, well, you did that and you gave me, you said the system shall and it should have been the system shall include, you know, or something like that, you know, shall support, shall include. And that that seems to be a reaction. Is it the right reaction? Absolutely not the right reaction. However, there does have to be uh, accountability for when things don't go well as well as when they go well. So, um, you know, do I see that a lot? Yes. Um, is it the project manager's fault? No. <laughs> it, it's If we're going to all go down together, we're going to all go together. But that's why I say as an analyst you have to be very, very deliberate and intentional with what you capture and documenting everything and, you know, not being a stenographer but getting the facts documented correctly is near and dear to me from just the purest BA perspective. However, um, you know, the the finger pointing intrinsically is never a good way of going out as a team or or accepting failure at all. Um, I think that's an opportunity for everyone to take a look at where things kind of may have fallen apart. Um, but, no, just punting that over to the project manager and saying, hey, that's all you, that's your problem, you're the face of the project, we can't pick and choose when we want to shine on the project. Well, the requirements were great, yay, the BA was great, oh, but the deployment didn't go well. Okay, so we're just going to point back to one individual. Nah, um, that's not the right approach to take, in my opinion. No, no, to- totally, totally agree with that. And, and Coop, any? Well, let let me because uh, Tasha, you've spent pl- uh, more than uh, you know your afternoon takes time out of your day. So again, Tasha Hurley, no everyone. Thank you again. Thank you, Our microphone is always open to you. <laughs> uh, and you. I Thank you, Coop. It's been great. <laughs> and I, and I, have to, I have to share with our audience, we have Tasha in our archives uh, because she's actually a BA. So Tasha and I have the same dilemma. We have to talk nice about PMs because we're married to PMs. <laughs> yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> but, but she she and her husband, uh, we did a husband and wife series, and they talked about business analysis and project management. So if you want more about that, um, and just having a, a, a couple that are both in IT, great interview. So just check out our archives. And, again, like I said, we'll, we'll have to do a, a update and, and have both of you back. But thank you again so much, Tasha, yeah. for being on today's thank show. Thank you. Thank you. You guys be good and be good to All each right. other out there. All right. All right. Thank Thanks, you. Bye-bye. Uh, but, but Coop, let me throw that, that last question over to you yeah. about the the BAPM and and how sometimes that that finger pointing gets started. Right. Well, I think I think people need to, and Tasha hit on this a little. Like people need to um, first and foremost want to be on the team, right? And if you're 
a team player. And this is why I talk about improv so much, because all these skills and getting better at this and not finger-pointing and being a team player and supporting each other and being there. There's an exercise I do um, when I do my improv workshop, and we call it group juggle, and I have a number of uh, balls that the group kind of throws around in a, a certain order. And it inherently, balls get dropped, and I highlight that, you know, when a ball got dropped, it just sat on the floor and didn't, nobody went and picked it up, right? So everybody mm-hmm. is having that, like, finger-pointing moment of, oh, it's not mine. Like, I didn't drop it. It's not my ball. I did my job. I threw my ball to my partner. Um, and even people point their finger at the ball and don't say anything. They're like, uh, <laughs> does anybody see, right? It's like, it's not mine. So you have to have that attitude of being a good team player, picking the balls up. And that, you know, brings up the conversation around responsibilities versus accountability. Um, and <clears throat> you have to take responsibility for tasks, right? And the group has to come up and agree on who's doing what and um, why certain people should do different things and, and take responsibility. Once you are assigned something, you take responsibility and you follow it through. Um, and that doesn't mean you have to do it alone. You can ask for help, but it's it's your responsibility to get something done when you said it was going to get done. But then you're also accountable for the success of the team. Um, Tasha talked about the, the BA doing a great job, but then there being bad deployment. Um, you, we don't do any of the things on our project. We don't do good business analysis for the sake of good business analysis. You're not a good PM. We don't do project management tasks just to do project management tasks. We don't code just to code. We, you know, it, all those things come together for a successful outcome. So delivering something that is a value to the business that we all agreed upon. And no matter where you are in the stage of a project, you have to have the attitude of what, I, what could have I done differently to make the outcome better. I mean, that's the attitude people have to have, not, well, I did my job, he didn't do his job. And I, I think part of that goes to, you know, um, uh, it could be around performance reviews could cause that and the way we're viewed in our roles, um, that a lot of performance reviews are not based on team success. They're based on how you did, right, on the things that you were responsible for. So, you know, it it becomes, wait, I, I want to make sure everybody knows that it wasn't my fault. I did a good job. Where the breakdown happened was over here. Um so we just, you know, it's human nature, not that, I don't know if any, I'm sure people do it on purpose, but uh, I don't think everybody does, and sometimes it happens um, in that way. But you have to have the attitude. And I, I mean, I'm trying to teach this lesson to my kids, right? My daughter forgot uh, her lunch the other day to school, and she came home like, well, Mommy didn't put it in my bag. <laughs> and I was like, okay, um, well, whose lunch is it? Right, and she's like, "Well, mm-hmm. it's mine." I'm like, "So, what could you do differently instead of blaming mommy? Um, mm-hmm. What could have you done differently?" Right, and she's like, "Oh, well, I could have brought it downstairs and put it in my bag." Right, so it's like that's the attitude that people have to have, thinking about looking at themselves introspectively and saying, "You know what? We did as a team. We failed. Something happened. You know that we need to improve. What could I have done differently? Could I have said something to somebody? Could I have?" stayed an extra half hour and help somebody with a task. Um, like thinking of it that way, then one, you're going to be a better team player and people are going to want to be on your team, right? I mean, 
so and as as individuals we we have to have that attitude right we always want the next gig and we want to be on the team and we want to be respected and and that's a way to get respect that's a way for people to be like no matter what your skills are I want Jacqueline on my team I mean she's got my back no matter what um and and that's the attitude people have to have rather than pointing fingers Absolutely, absolutely. No, I I I totally uh, agree. And you know, one one of the things, and and Tasha did a great job recapping as we we talked through this. And you know, the the business analyst is a critical part on the 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 project. I mean, if anyone who's listening, and it's not just about tooting their own horn. It's it's a it's sometimes a heavy burden to uh, bear sometimes, uh, if you want to call it a burden. But, it, but you know, those who are passionate about it, you know, it, it's all in, and it's about a successful product. It's not about documentation or a document of, of some sort or something that you just throw over the uh, cubicle to the developers. It's about a, a successful product. And so when you're all in, then it's, you know, you're doing uh, those different aspects to, to hold up and to support the team, and if you want the glory, you also you know have to understand what comes along with that. And I think that sometimes the definition of business analyst gets diluted, and so it's an education process. And and that's what I think this this show does. You know, you you heard it from uh, Tasha, and 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 you've been hearing it from Coop and I. So just just more validation that it's it's a great role. Uh, a great responsibility, um, and, you know, if this is your area, you know, you really can sink your teeth into it. And and like I said, I feel that it's very rewarding because when you see that product, the problem solved, the business um, embracing their new software or their solution, right. you know that you were a critical piece in that um, and, and, and working with that overall team. So it, it, it all goes hand in hand. But, you know, I, I want to just to wrap it all up, and it, it ties to this conversation, also the, the, the blog that we're about to come out with, is that the business analyst, I think sometimes people just think that you just take your natural skill set and you jump into it. But it really is a structured, refined skill set that needs, you know, there's training opportunities. You want to continuously hone that. You know, we talked about the the certification, and uh, the certification just isn't just so you can have something to sit in your cubicle. The certification, you know, is understanding the the body of knowledge uh, around this arena that was, you know, written by business analysts with many years of experience. Um, And then there's the continuing education credits because we need, you know, things are changing, evolving, and it's just your commitment to continuously improve yourself, so to speak. So I just want to give you a a time in in earnest, uh, Coop, to actually talk about, you know, B2T, the the training, and some of the upcoming events that you have for people who want to pursue this and, and hone their skills. Well, thank you. Yeah, I don't want to take too much time, but um, talking about the certification, um, I'm giving a or leading a a CBAP prep class in March in Atlanta. Um, So you can go to our website and check it out and look for the dates, March 7th through the 10th. Um, So, you know, and the good thing about certification, so I I have this love-hate deal with certification, I'll be honest with everybody. 
that I don't think certifications make you a better uh, – certain certifications don't make you a better business analyst. And I don't think a CBAP makes you a better business analyst. But what it does, just to, to prepare for it, you have to go through and, and get reacquainted maybe with some techniques and things that you haven't done in the past. Um, so what it can do is highlight and remind you, oh, yeah, I remember that technique. I need to start using it again. So um, it could – amp up your um, how you work day in, day out. and So just by going through that, and it can make you feel, it's going to give you the confidence that you know and have experience with a lot of different techniques to feel good about uh, when you're going into um, work sessions or your daily job that you know, hey, I have this experience, so it's really good. So I'd love for you to, to join me for that. Um, I'm also doing a number of presentations around the U.S. and in Toronto um, most are around, some are around design thinking um, and how you use design thinking and design principles in the BA space. I think that's really important for us to, to focus on. That's kind of, in my opinion, for BAs, kind of the next, um, the next thing. Um, I'm also doing one in Toronto, a workshop in Toronto on using the DISC. Uh, you know, we talked about being understanding personality, so it's, it's using the DISC um, personality type stuff in conjunction with uh, being a cohesive team member. So how do you not only understand what type of personality you are, but how that plays into being a good team member. So those are some of the cool things going on, some of the different things. But we're, you know, we're helping organizations every every day. And what I love, um, the responses I hear back when people are like, you know what, I can use these techniques tomorrow um, and get better. That I love to hear that, and that's what we hear all the time. And um, if, to me, that tells me that we're um, helping people, which are going to help projects, which are going to help avoid those project failures and and those death march projects. So the more we can do that, the better. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you again, Coop. We've done a whole ninety minutes with the help of Tasha. Um, great content. Yeah. Uh, it's there in the archives if you want to share it with your team members. Um, also, the transcript will be available. Uh, visit B2Ttraining.com. And, uh, again, thank you to uh, Jovan Grant, who is our studio engineer. also want to say thank you to Anisha mm-hmm. Mohammed, who has been uh, helping us out and, and does the transcripts after the show. Uh, as well as our social media, and also thank you to uh, Don Majors, who also does the headlines and hashtag news. So thank you, everyone. Stay in touch. Until next time, we'll talk to you again in two weeks. Take care of that cold coop, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Will do. All right. Thank All you, right. Jacqueline. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. This episode is sponsored by and features B2Ttraining.com. B2T Training has trained and equipped almost 15,000 of the most successful and high-performing practitioners of business analysis since the year 2000. Our courses are developed and taught by the most respected and highest qualified experts in the industry. We know that transforming the way you and your team perform business analysis is not a one-size-fits-all approach. And we understand that your business analysis practice has unique problems and deserves a unique program offering. Using our holistic approach, we will identify the pain points that will result in the best opportunity for your team or organization to realize the change they're trying to achieve. Change begins with knowledge 
and skills. Our learning events also include ongoing enrichment and reflective activities that provide students the boost they need to sustain their learning and competency. In other words, we make it stick. Get your business analysis training from the most respected and highest qualified source of experts in the industry. Find out more about our public class offerings in various U.S. locations or call to speak with one of our training solution sales associates toll-free at 866-675-2125. Follow us on social media and visit www.b2ttraining.com. That's B, the number 2, T, training.com and see our full course outlines, blog, and free downloadable resources. We get it. We'll help you get it too.